Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Christmas edition of the Robert J. Morgan podcast. I have something special for you today, but first I'd like to ask a favor. Would you share this podcast with a friend or let people in your Bible study group or your social media relationships know about this weekly Bible study podcast? In the coming weeks, we're going to finish our study of the book of 1 John and then tackle the remarkable apocalyptic Old Testament book of Zechariah. And I'd love to teach as many people as possible what these incredible books have to say about world conditions and about our lives. So I would greatly appreciate it if you'll help spread the word about studying the Bible using this podcast. Well, in today's edition, I want to share with you the best things ever said about Jesus. There was an item in a newspaper recently about a woman who had never been out of communist China. But on her first trip to the West, she attended a performance of Handel's Messiah. As the last stirring notes faded away, she turned to her hosts and said, I must know, who are they singing about? As the hymn writers put it, who is he in yonder stall at whose feet the shepherds fall? Or what child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? The Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8 As he read, the prophet Isaiah said, Who is this prophet writing about? The people of our Lord's own day said, What manner of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Jesus himself asked his disciples, Who do you think I am? In the 2,000 years since he spoke those words, there have been enough answers to that question to fill all of the libraries in the world, and yet every description is inadequate. How can you possibly describe the most beautiful life ever lived? What can you say about the most remarkable man who ever existed? Well, I want to share a collection of some of the most superb, superlative things ever written about Jesus. Some of them are very short only a sentence or two. Some are longer, but all are succinct and eloquent descriptions of his life. I've compiled these, and I'm constantly adding to them, for there aren't enough words in the vocabularies of all of the languages on earth to describe him. But as we think about him this Christmas, it helps us to listen to what others have said. Martin Luther, the 16th century reformer, said it very simply. No other God have I but thee, born in a manger, died on a tree. The American devotional writer Samuel D. Gordon said, Jesus is God, spelling himself out in language that man can understand. In the fourth century lived one of history's greatest preachers, John of Antioch. He became known as John Chrysostom, for the word Chrysostom means golden mouth, and that described his oratory and his sermons. 
And one of the greatest statements ever made about the Lord Jesus, one that I've quoted over and over again, especially at Christmas, Chrysostom said, I do not think of Christ as God alone or man alone, but both together. For I know he was hungry, and I know that with five loaves he fed five thousand. I know he was thirsty, and I know that he turned the water into wine. I know he was carried in a ship, and I know that he walked on the sea. I know that he died, and I know that he raised the dead. I know that he was set before Pilate, and I know that he sits with the Father on his throne. I know that he was worshipped by angels, and I know that he was stoned by the Jews. And truly some of these I ascribe to the human and others to the divine nature, for by reason of this he is said to have been both man and God. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, The name of Jesus is not so much written as it is plowed into the history of the world. The theologian Augustine, or Augustine, was intrigued and perplexed by the imponderable mysteries and paradoxes in the life of our Lord Jesus. Writing about it, he said, He it is by whom all things were made, and who was made one of all things. He is the revealer of the Father, the creator of the mother, the Son of God by the Father without a mother, the Son of Man by a mother without a father, the Word of God who is God before all time, the Word made flesh at a fitting time, the Maker of the Son made under the Son, unutterably wise, in His wisdom a babe without utterance, filling the world yet lying in a manger. The Council of Chalcedon, held in the year 451, was convened, in part, to systematize the doctrine of Christ. They put it beautifully when they issued their decree for the churches. We confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man, and all things likened to us but without sin, and in these latter days for us and for our salvation, born of Mary, the virgin mother of God according to his manhood, existing in two natures without mixture, without change, without division, without separation, the diversity of the two natures not being at all destroyed by their union, but the particular properties of each nature being preserved, not parted or divided into two persons, but one Lord Jesus Christ. One of my favorite Bible teachers is the missionary statesman J. Oswald Sanders. He simply said this about Christ, most men are notable for one conspicuous virtue or grace, Moses for his meekness, Job for his patience, John for his love. But in Jesus, you find everything. John Donne was an English poet and clergyman who lived from 1573 to 1631. He is one of the most powerful and eloquent preachers coming down to us from the 17th century. In one of his sermons, he drew a parallel between the birth of Christ and his death, and he put it very uniquely, comparing the cradle to the cross. He said, The whole life of Christ was a continual passion. Others die martyrs, but Christ was born a martyr. He found a Golgotha even in Bethlehem, where he was born, for to his tenderness the straws were almost as sharp then as the thorns were later, and the manger as uneasy at first as the cross was at last. 
His birth and death were but one continual act, and his Christmas Day and his Good Friday are but the evening and morning of one and the same day. The 19th century Bible teacher A.T. Pearson said, Jesus Christ stands absolutely alone in history, in teaching, in example, in character, an exception, a marvel, and he is himself the evidence of Christianity. He resigned the throne and the crown of heaven, exchanged the radiant robe of a universal king for the garment of a servant, descended to earth, condescended to human want and woe and wickedness, lay in a lowly cradle in a cattle stall at Bethlehem, and hung upon a cross of shame at Calvary, that even those who crucified him might be forgiven. Can you span the chasm between the throne of a universe and that cross? A crown of stars and a crown of thorns? The worship of the host of heaven and the mockery of an insulting mob? There is nothing like it in history, not even in fable. How can we understand a man with human infirmities without human sin or sinfulness, poor, yet having at his disposal universal riches, weak and weary, yet having the exhaustless energy of God, unable to resist the violence and influence of his foes, yet able to summon legions of angels at a word or a wish, suffering, yet incapable of anything but perfect bliss, dying, yet he himself having neither beginning of days or end of years. The British Bible teacher J. Sidlow Baxter said, Fundamentally, our Lord's message was himself. He did not come merely to preach a gospel. He himself is that gospel. He did not come merely to give bread. He said, I am the bread. He did not come merely to shed light. He said, I am the light. He did not come merely to show the door. He said, I am the door. He did not come merely to name a shepherd. He said, I am the shepherd. He did not come merely to point the way. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. The distinguished historian Philip Sheff wrote, A catalog of virtues and graces, however complete, would merely give us a mechanical view. It's the spotless purity and the sinlessness of Jesus as acknowledged by both friend and foe that raises his character high above the richness of all others. In him we see the even harmony and symmetry of all of his graces, his love for God and man, his dignity and humility, his strength and tenderness, his greatness and simplicity, and his self-control and submission. It's the absolute perfection of Christ's character that marks him a moral miracle of history. It's futile to compare him with saints and sages, ancient or modern. Even the skeptic Jean-Jacques Rousseau was compelled to remark, if Socrates lived and died like a sage, Jesus lived and died like God. And Will Durant, the historian and author of the massive story of civilization, devoted an entire volume of 751 pages to the years surrounding the life of Christ, and he entitled it Caesar and Christ. In it, he noticed the stylistic differences between the Gospels, but he concluded this, The contradictions are of minutia, not substance. 
and essentials the Synoptic Gospels agree remarkably well and form a consistent portrait of Christ. No one reading these scenes can doubt the reality of the figure behind them, that a few simple men should in one generation have invented so powerful and appealing a personality, so lofty an ethic, and so inspiring a vision of human brotherhood would be a miracle far more incredible than any recorded in the Gospels. After two centuries of higher criticism, the outlines of the life, character, and teachings of Christ remain reasonably clear and construe the most fascinating feature in the history of Western man. In his book, Many Infallible Proofs, Volume 2, A.T. Pearson, having alluded to the raw, brutal nature of the Roman Empire, quotes this paragraph from a man named Dr. Porter. How then can it be explained that forth from that generation came the loftiest and loveliest, the simplest, yet the most complete ideal of a master, friend, example, savior of humankind that the world has ever conceived, an ideal that, since it was furnished to man in the record, has never been altered except for the worse, a picture that no genius can retouch except to mar, a gem that no polisher can try to cut except to break it, able to guide the oldest and to smooth the youngest of mankind, to add luster to our brightest joys and to dispel our darkest fears. Whether realized in fact or regarded only as an ideal, he said, the conception of Jesus is the greatest miracle of the ages. And now these words are attributed to Napoleon, Napoleon Bonaparte. He said, you speak of Caesar... Alexander of their conquests, of the enthusiasm they enkindled in the hearts of their soldiers. But can you conceive of a dead man making conquest with an army faithful and entirely devoted to his memory? My army has forgotten me while I was still living. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ alone founded his empire upon love, and at this hour millions of men would die for him. I have so inspired multitudes that they would die for me, but after all, my presence was necessary, the lighting of my eye, my voice, a word from me. Then that sacred fire was kindled in their hearts. Now here I am at St. Helena, alone, chained to this rock, who fights and wins empires for me? No one. What an abyss between my deep misery and the eternal reign of Christ, who is proclaimed, loved, adored, and whose reign is extending over all of the earth. Those are some wonderful quotes about Jesus Christ. But maybe you're familiar with the most famous of all, the classic summation found in so many Christmas cards and in so many Christmas sermons. The author of what I'm about to read is unknown, although this is sometimes attributed to the Boston pastor Philip Brooks. But whoever it was put it so beautifully. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a house. He never went to college. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. 
He never did one of the things that usually accompanies greatness. He had no credentials but himself. When he was only 33, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race and the leader of the column of progress. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of humanity upon this earth as has that one solitary life. Well, the Apostle Paul said this about Christ in Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. The words and the witness of all of the generations extols that one solitary life as the most extraordinary life ever lived. The scriptures, especially acknowledge him in words that are more beautiful than we can imagine. Even the simplest of those words, like this announcement of the birth and ministry of Christ given by the Christmas angel to the shepherds on the outskirts of Bethlehem in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This Christmas, there's only one question for you and me to ask. Is this remarkable man and God the center of your life? Is he your Christ and your Savior and your Lord? For unto you is born this day in the city of David. It's unto you that is born this day in the city of David. It's unto you that he is born a Savior, who is Christ, the Lord. Well, thanks for digging into the riches of the Bible and the person of Christ with me. Remember to check out all of the resources we have available at robertjmorgan.com. And please, pass on this episode and others to your friends and let them know about our Bible study podcast. This episode was produced by Joshua Rowe and the marketing company, Clearly Media. Audio production and engineering is by Jared Brummond. Editorial supervision is by Sherry Anderson. And Luke Tyler takes each of these episodes, condenses them, adds an opening outline, and posts them as blogs on my website at robertjmorgan.com. If you go there, you can find many other resources as well. Music is by Jordan Davis. Thanks for tuning in. Merry Christmas, and may God be with you until we meet again.